Welcome to That Star Trek Podcast. Are you out of your mind? Watch and learn. This is going to be awesome. This is your place for detailed analysis and speculation of all things Trek. You are stopping to the core. I can smell it on you. Join us as we dive into the newest content coming available, as well as retrospectives of the past series and films. Do we need a mutiny today to prove who we are? Now, on with the show. We've only just begun. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of That Star Trek Podcast, your one-stop pod for discussions, examinations, and speculations of all things Trek. I'm your host, Scott Madison, and I have a tidy group of guests with me. I'm going to go around the table and introduce everyone. As usual, we have Rick. How are you? Help me, Spock. Help me, Spock! I know. I, he shall not. We also have joining us, uh, as usual, Neek. How are you? Not good enough, damn it. Not good enough. Not good enough, damn it. Not good enough. <laughs> <laughs> she will not ask them to die. And finally, uh, joining us from the Quantum Leap podcast, we have Christopher DeFilippis. How are you? Hi, Bob. I heard... I heard about it, and uh, and I've heard about it more and more now. It, it's a unfortunately a drinking game that is played at college uh, campuses all, all over the country. I, now, it's a two-edged sword because um, they obviously like the show, or they wouldn't sit and watch it. But I just hope when they play high bob, they don't drive. <laughs> now, Rick already stole that for what's your head can. <laughs> Well, this is a different show. <laughs> and I wasn't on the What's Your Head Cannon, and I wasn't on the wrap-up for uh, for All Mankind. So, And actually, I stole it for a weight you've still never seen. Oh, that's right. That, that's, that, see, this is what happens when all of us do, like, you know, 14 podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> it all blends, man. <laughs> All right, so we are going to have a little discussion inspired by an article found on, I believe, uh, redshirtsalwaysdie.com, dot org. Dot something. What is dot it? Dot edu. Uh, dot com, yes. Dot com. Um, regarding technology in Star Trek. Now, I was not the one that found this article. I have, in fact, not read this article yet, which does, in fact, make me the worst host <laughs> With the not most. So as a result, I'm going to throw uh, the leadership of this particular conversation to Rick, the founder of the article, not the writer. No. So sad for him. The writer is a person by the name of Tom General. This was posted on December 7th, 2023. A day that will live. A date which will live in infamy. Um, yeah, this article, uh, and uh, we will not 
have any need to go into it in great depth, the article itself, just the idea it put forth. Uh, I do recommend you read the article. It's very interesting. It's a it's a a, a viewpoint I had never considered because uh, I saw the the one of the Star Trek groups I'm on posted it, and the the uh, title is "Has Star Trek Technology Gotten Out of Control?" And that piqued my interest, and you know I was all set to to rail against whatever it was promoting. Uh, but the idea is actually kind of interesting, and uh, basically what it's saying is. Uh, you know the TOS days. Matt Jeffrey's originally original design for Star Trek because he was he was the they call him a TV artistic director. Um, I think he was he was the the art director. Art and director, he, yeah, yeah, and he was also he did a lot of the concept designs for like the deco look that that mid century modern look. Yeah, and you know the Enterprise was a was a a marvel of of innovation at the time, and I I, I think it still is. Um, but he also was responsible for the overall look of the show. And what he was going for was a very streamlined, simple uh, look for the ships and the, and the, and the, 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 the star bases and everything where all of, the, all of the, the machinery that was doing the work was out of sight. It was a very clean look. It was very smooth. You know, all the all people had to do to operate things was push a couple of buttons as opposed to like submarines at the time, which were all valves and pipes and cranks and and stuff like that. So he was going for a, a what to him was a futuristic look where all of the equipment was out of sight and and the, the control systems were very, very minimal. And over the years, that has grown and changed, you know, and, and one of the things the art the article talks about is just the difference between the original Enterprise, which had really spindly warp nacelle pylons uh, that, you know, look like they shouldn't hold up at all. And yet that was kind of part of the, the, the whole package was Jeffries was creating this look that by our standards shouldn't function, but works just fine in the 23rd century. Uh, and then we shift to Star Trek, the motion picture. And again, the the Enterprise refit is gorgeous, but now she's got big bulky pylons on the on the nacelles and the the the, the uh, hull plating with individual plates. And then you get on the bridge, and it's a lot. There's a lot more going on on the bridge. A lot more lights. A lot more panels, buttons, switches, etc. Um, and then it just kept progressively getting more and more until now. Say on Strange New Worlds. The Enterprise is just, you know, anywhere you look, there's a screen or a, a, a display or a panel or it, it's just it's just really busy. Now, I'm not I'm not necessarily saying this is a good or bad thing. I love the new Enterprise. And while sometimes it is a little visually overwhelming, I do like what they're doing with it. But how do we feel about that progression? I completely agree with the article. I had come to that conclusion myself before reading it that I don't like the the new look of, you know, what we're calling new Trek. Or I hadn't noticed it so much in, like, you say, the motion picture or, like, I, I don't mind any of the aesthetic changes, uh, th you know, throughout, I don't know, what we're now calling, I suppose, classic Trek. Although that def definition is up for grabs, but... <laughs> Um, I, I think of it as the TNG era, and that encompasses everything up through Enterprise, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah. It's by no means an, a, an established thing, but that's how I think of it. The line must be drawn here. 
this far, no farther. Yeah. So Enterprise looked a little bit different, but that completely made sense because it was a prequel. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the newer tracks like Discovery and Picard, the thing that annoys me about those series is that the look is not immediately identifiable as Trek. They look like any any sci-fi series where everything is a heads-up display and it's transparent and, you know, people wave their arms in the air to make stuff happen. And I don't understand why designers think this looks cool because in real life, you know, working like this with your arms flailing in the air <laughs> makes your arms tired. Resting your hands on a keyboard or a console or whatever, that makes so much more sense. So the idea that somehow going into the future, we're going to be doing things in a way that's less efficient, that's ridiculous. And also aesthetically, it's so much more chaotic when you have all these heads up displays. That's not easy on the eyes. It, it's actually quite, imagine if you actually lived in a world where there's crap like that floating all over the place. It would be visually exhausting. So one of the benefits, or benefits, I mean, one of the cool things about classic Trek is that it was so streamlined, it, it, that it was easy on the eyes in, in the sense of um, restful and that you wouldn't be, you wouldn't have sensory overload when you went to work. Whereas the newer stuff, it's all really dark and then all these displays are super bright. So that would be very, would strain your eyes. And it just—it's chaotic. So it makes no sense. I, I agree, Neek. And I mean, as someone with a TV background, like going to the bridge of a starship these days is almost like being in a control room for the entire duration of your job. And a control room is a darker environment with a bunch of screens and different displays in different places because there are a lot of moving parts to a broadcast, to a news, to a news show. I could not imagine being in a control room environment for eight hours. I mean, doing it for half an hour is, is taxing because it's just so frenetic. And the way that they made it now, basically, I think the criteria for the 25th century is it's got to look cool on screen. That's their design aesthetic, even though, you know, they always act like somebody's watching you. It's, it's, it's kind of silly. Rick, did you see, I think it was earlier this year or maybe last year, and I don't even know what the platform was, but there was there was something online where you could go into like a 3D immersive uh, display of different concept designs that Jeffries had for the original and uh, NCC 1701. And they yes, they, okay. it, it was it was a connect, it was connected with with Roddenberry Entertainment. They were trying to create a VR Star Trek platform. I haven't heard anything mm -hmm. about it in quite a while. Uh, but you could you could do VR walkthroughs of a lot of different bridges of a lot mm. of different starships. I, I mentioned that because on one of them, they had gone completely in the other direction, like almost too much. There was this cavernous bridge space that was almost just like a giant empty white room. Oh, yeah, you're right. Those were some of the early TNG concepts. That was TNG or was it yeah. TOS? No, it was TNG because the what, some of the original ideas like Roddenberry in the early days of, of the pre-planning of TNG, he was like, 
I don't want any controls on the bridge. I don't want anybody, any of the crew, doing anything to the ship. The ship is going to be completely automated. And so it was basically just a big oval room with a huge view screen and couches. <laughs> I, I Roddenberry just, he did not like the idea of anything being visually or dramatically interesting. I just don't understand, like, his approach. I mean, I get it. Maybe you have, like, this, quote, ideal of the, the 24th century, but it's a show, <laughs> you yeah. know? And I, I, I kind of agree with Neek. It's it's swung the other way now, like, too much. But Roddenberry, you know, he was he was kind of crazy. It's like you, you got to have something for the viewer to, to latch on to. When the network saw what you soon will see, they rejected it. Well, by 1984, he'd been drinking his own Kool-Aid for almost 20 years. He yeah, was... yeah, that's true. He was he was so far up his own ass that uh, it was kind of difficult to see anything. But yeah, uh, yeah, I, I think. But and and Nick, like you said, the one thing that I don't like about New Trek, and I think I've said this before when we first started to review Disco, it is not recognizably Star Trek, and everything is too hard and shiny. One thing I liked about the aesthetic of the original series and TNG, even though I like to make fun of it, because, you know, everybody says it's the Hilton space. This is really hot. But you had the carpeted walks. You had, you know, walls. You had, it, it's almost like you're in a living space. You're not in a workspace. So I think that they did strike a balance um, more so on TNG. You, you know, I, I think the original Enterprise is a little bit more militaristic in its look in the bridge. It's a little bit more hard angles, things like that. But... If you're going to be living on a ship for five years, you want spaces that are a little bit more inviting, a little bit more comfortable. And I just can't see serving on a, a, a ship in the fleet for five years now where everything you do is just, once again, back to that militaristic look. It'd be like being on a submarine for five years. It'll drive you crazy. Right. I've, I've never understood... Because it, it okay, and again, this seems to me to be a, a relatively recent thing. People bitching about the the carpeting on the Enterprise. <laughs> I mean, it, it it made sense from a, from from both a a we've got to live here standpoint and a you know a production standpoint because it's quiet. And there was carpeting on the on the on the on TOS as well. It, uh, so I don't know what people like people get all bent out of shape about the carpet on the Enterprise D. I never liked the outboard design of the D, but I thought the inside was kind of cool. We haven't, heard from, we haven't heard from Scott. Hey, host. I thought that uh, the Enterprise D had a, a, a very 80s aesthetic inside. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, the, the wood paneling was always great. Um, but I, b backing up to um, uh, how Neek was describing uh, the, the way that newer Trek uh, shows the technology with uh, heads-up displays and the uh, the interacting with it with your hands in front of your face. Um, one of the things that I noticed as that type of uh, that technological design started becoming more more common, uh, definitely taking a, a big leap in that direction when Discovery premiered from Enterprise to Discovery. As far as production style, huge difference. They decided we have to make all the technology uh, look like all other modern sci-fi. And one of the big problems I had with it was after spending so much time trying to find little details that would be put into uh, into the background or into the displays of, of previous series, trying to do that with the newer stuff like Discovery 
I would constantly feel like I'm missing so much. Just one pan across uh, the bridge. And there's so much visual information that the effects team has packed in there that in in reality is probably nothing but filler. It doesn't mean anything. You get nothing! But I've always wanted to see every little detail especially on star trek i want to see i want to see what they're putting in there i want to i want to catch the references i want to see what lines up and i want to learn more about you know how how the ships work and how they lay out their information the the star trek fan and the graphic design fan in me was always on the lookout for that and the feeling that i can never keep up with everything that they're putting on the screen no amount of freeze framing is going to be enough for me to catch everything that they're squeezing in there's going to be stuff that i miss and that always bothered me i've i've forced myself to let go of that a little bit and just assume that if there's something that was really important that i didn't quite catch that it'll probably show up on a on a youtube video or on uh an article that will come across my Facebook page and say, oh, that was a, a cool detail. I wish I had caught that. But trying to find those details now with the the current style that they give the technology, it's it's like a full-time job, which I, I would be up for if someone wants to pay me for it. But <laughs> You get nothing! Well, you know what I just realized from what you said? Back in in the the classic Trek days or, or TNG era, you know all all of, all encompassing up through Enterprise. If you posted a picture of the bridge of any of the sh- the main ships from those series, I would know it immediately. I have noticed with New Trek, you know, especially because there's you know Zoom backgrounds and desktop wallpapers and stuff like that. I can't tell one ship from another. I you know I mistook. The, the La Serena for uh, for Disco once and felt I didn't admit it, but it bothered me and and now I'm starting to think because none of this stuff occurred to me and, mm-hmm. uh, until I read this article and, and now, you know, I I know I tend to be an apologist for New Trek and I, I, I'm not happy with everything it does, but I'm you know, I would rather have New Trek happening that I don't necessarily agree with everything than No Trek at all and I, I think that with with the new Trek series, I think the the good stuff outweighs the bad. But there's still, yeah, that that visual aesthetic. It it gets overwhelming, and it's also it it it's both overcomplicated and generic. And I get from a production standpoint that cuts down on cost because you just move a console here, change a console there, use a different angle, and you're on a new ship. But but they did that with the TOS designs too. They did that with all the movie era ships. They recycled the hell out of those sets. Yeah, but and yet. Everything was still recognizable as whatever it was. Right, right. Like, you knew you were on yeah. the Voyager. You knew exactly. you were on the Defiant. You knew, you knew which bridge you were on. You knew yeah. which mess hall you were on. And Rick, you're right. Now everything kind of looks the same. I mean, I won't say that completely. Like uh, Strange New Worlds, I think, is has done it well. It still has its own aesthetic. That's, you know, recognizably TOS-esque. Yeah, like it's like a the perfect merging of New Trek and TOS, but yeah, Disco and Picard. I agree with you. Everything is is overcomplicated and generic. You you put it perfectly. It it would it would be easy, I think, relatively easy, for at a quick glance, uh, for people to 
not be able to uh, distinguish the bridge of discovery and the bridge of the uh, Titan A. If you just had a, a, a quick flash of each of those bridges, you might not be able to tell the difference. Because it it's a lot of darkness, a lot of uh, illuminated panels, and nothing that really stands out. There's no no wooden horseshoe around the back. No orange rail. No orange rail. No uh, very clearly wider than it is deep, like the bridge of Voyager. Yeah. So, yeah. They 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 are getting. Um, I get generic might might be probably the best best way to put it. Um, a lot of the the recent designs do seem a bit a bit samey. Now, if you if you take the time and you look close at say this is going going back to TNG, if you look at the battle bridge, then you could probably tell if you're paying close attention that it's not. And I I think I'm right on this, but Rick, check me. Um, you can probably tell. Oh yeah, that was the bridge of the Enterprise from uh, from the movies. Didn't didn't they redress the Enterprise bridge? They redressed the, a set. I'm not sure if it was the bridge, but yeah, the battle bridge was a redress. I'm not. I don't remember what what set it, it was. I'll, I'll I'll be Tom. I'll look on Memory Alpha while you while you guys talk. <laughs> I, I used to know that, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. I mean, everything's a redress of something. But it yeah. was, you know, yeah. The the D's battle bridge was recognizably the D's battle bridge. Yeah, and e- even uh, transporter rooms uh, in Star Trek Six. That was TNG's transporter room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it, it, they they did a redress and they changed things enough that when you're watching the movie, it doesn't scream, "Hey, this is TNG's set. We're just borrowing it." Yeah, I, I had no idea. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. It, it makes me think of like the way they changed up uh, Ten Forward uh, in Picard, where they they all go to the holodeck to go to Ten Forward that looks like the Ten Forward from Earth rather than going to an actual mess hall in the ship. And, you know, as fans, we're all sitting there being like, but why? Like the whole, you know, the fun thing about, you know, TNG's 10 Forward is that it was on the ship. You know, for those of us at home fantasizing about living on the ship, we don't want to go to a bar that looks like a bar on Earth. We want to be in a bar that looks like a bar in space. Like, that's the appeal. Or on on the... On, on the other side of that coin, if I'm not mistaken, the season ended in orbit of Earth. They could have just gone to the bar. Hey, Tom Jot, human. <laughs> I think they well, did at the very end. I think they they did go to the actual bar. But I mean, yeah. that's the point. The fact that we don't know. That's right. That's right. Oh, see, I, yep. I was conflating that final scene with the other scenes that took place in the bar. Yeah. Oh, okay. They were in the hollow version of that bar. Up until the end, where they were in the air. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, that was when, that, when they didn't have power for out, the shields, but they had power for the. the exactly. Right, but like, yeah. Wouldn't it have made like? Wouldn't it have been more significant for them to you know end in the actual bar if they hadn't spent half the episode in the fake bar that looked exactly the same? <laughs> there were some very odd choices in Picard. I, I, I won't argue that. Yeah, I, I, I like the fact that overall, and I, I think hopefully you guys agree overall season three of Picard was a winner, but there were some decisions along the way that were kind of head scratchers. And that was certainly one of them. I mean, it was, uh, you know, a vast improvement over season two, but I mean, that's, that's a low bar. That's a, that's a low bar. <laughs> yeah. 
All right, I found it here. It says the set. We're talking about the Battle Bridge now on the D. The set was built as the enter as the refit Enterprise Bridge for Star Trek Phase Two, which later became Star Trek: The Motion Picture. And really? And it was revealed in the sketch from 23 March that the Battle Bridge set was an inexpensive redress of the films, the film Enterprise's Bridge. Indeed, the set was the Enterprise Bridge in the four subsequent Star Trek films. And yeah. You were right, Scott. And it was remodeled into the Enterprise D set to cut costs. And it had also been redressed as the bridge of the Berinda class uh, USS Lantry in unnatural selection. The Ambassador class Enterprise C. So this was the Enterprise C bridge, too. Yeah. From yesterday's Enterprise. And it was also the courtroom in Measure of a Man. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? Data is not sentient. No. Commander, would you enlighten us? What is required for sentience? Intelligence. Self-awareness. Consciousness. Prove to the court that I am sentient. This is absurd. We all know you're sentient. So I am sentient, but Commander Data is not. That's right. Uh Why? Why am I sentient? Well, you are self-aware. Ah, that's the second of your criteria. Let's deal with the first, intelligence. Is Commander Data intelligent? Yes. It has the ability to learn and understand and to cope with new situations. Like this hearing. Yes. What about self-awareness? What does that mean? Why why am I self-aware? Because you are conscious of your existence and actions. You are aware of yourself and your own ego. Commander Data, what are you doing now? I'm taking part in a legal hearing to determine my rights and status. Am I a person or property? And what's at stake? My right to choose. Perhaps my very life. I think I'm. I, I think my problem with this is that when we, you were talking about the battle bridge, I was thinking auxiliary command from TOS, and I was mm. thinking that was a very small room. I haven't. Said, I, I don't think they used the battle bridge much after they used. They they they, they, they used didn't it. use yeah. it a lot. They used it a couple times. Yeah, no, but no, I mean, it, the only encounter at far point. The, the uh, camera only it. stayed on one tiny section of it. I think the set was much bigger than it seemed in that. Uh, when it was being used as the battle bridge. Yeah. The, the, there are two instances that I clearly recall them using the battle bridge, and that was uh, Encounter at Farpoint, the, the series premiere, and then they went back to it, um, the season four opener, that's Best of Both Worlds Part Two. So anyway. are we done uh, with topic number one? <laughs> <laughs> well, let me let me ask a question before, let's, let's put a, put a bow on this. Would we like to see Future Trek go back to a more streamlined look? You got to define streamlined. Well, we we're, we we I think we all agree that things are too busy now. That it's just it's just visually overwhelming. Well, I, the, we, is, we, is the, we have to is, admit that is subjective, but but yes. Is the genie out of the bottle? Is there is there going back, or ah. do we do we think this is how science fiction is going to be done for the foreseeable future? I have uh. some opinions. Uh, well, I mean, again, you can have it go wrong in the other direction. I think the La Serena looks just like a big black empty room. So you don't get much more streamlined than that. It's basically like a black box theater. And the um, book ship on, on Disco, since they're now in like the 39th century or whatever the hell they're at, 
um, again, it's just like one main console that changes into whatever you need and then just a wall of view screens. So there's not a lot going on. Those those ships are very streamlined, mm -hmm. but to the point where I don't think that they're very interesting. So you, you can have the aesthetic swing the other way too much as well. And I think that makes sense in like the 32nd century, uh, wherever disco is, because you have that pro programmable matter. So yeah. it could become whatever it needs to become. But it's still a little bit like, okay, we're sitting by an amorphous blob that only changes when you move your hands over it. That it somehow knows what you want it to be when you put your hands up to it. Every time you look at this engine, you're looking at me. Every time you touch it, it's me. So to me, that's, you know, indistinguishable from magic. And that's not very interesting either. Yeah. And that was the other half of the of the topic overall, that uh, having not read the article, I thought this is what it was uh, going to be referring to, not from a from a visual aesthetic standpoint, but more of a uh, Star Trek technology has become magic in the same way that we say transporters are magic. You, you, you can do anything with a transporter in Star Trek. Um, you know, expand that out to all the other different uh, types of technology that they use. And I'm sure we've had this discussion on, you know, uh, you know long past uh, podcasts where we've discussed that it's difficult. And the producers and writers have said this, too. It becomes difficult to write episodes where there is any uh, you know, problem or uh, or stakes because there's always a way that you can explain, oh, this technology can do this problem is solved. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's why when uh, people were complaining about another prequel, I think, before Disco came out, and I saw more than one Trek writer say, you know, people want to go, so why can't we go past, you know, Nemesis, post-Nemesis? And they were, they were saying, because if we go too far into the future, the technology becomes so powerful that it's, it's almost impossible to write stories because you just emit this particle and everything's all better. And now they're in the now we're in the 29th century or whatever it is. And 32nd. Thank you. <laughs> um, and and that's exactly the thing. You know, they're the, in order to make it feel like they're that much further ahead. They're doing goofy shit like separated, you know, non nacelles, not physically attached to the ship and stuff, which I I, I think that's just dumb. <laughs> yeah, I, it's it's one of those like stylistic choices that they went with because they wanted the technology to, you know, look cooler yeah. in the 32nd century, but I don't understand how it how it makes any sense. The introduction of the concept of programmable matter in Discovery season 3 allows for uh, any any ship that you have to basically become the T1000. These ships are just liquid metal. They're just going to do whatever you want. And I, I don't get it. Chris already mentioned the, the console on, on Bookship. Not only does the console just read your mind and give you what you need when you put your hand over it, but the way that the exterior of Bookship will shift and move around when it flies, I feel like I'm watching a Michael Bay Transformers movie, which yeah, is... What's, what's the point? <laughs> the, 
give us an exterior shot in discovery and about half the time i'm not going to be able to tell what's going on because the camera is moving independently of the objects on screen everything moves so fast and there are so many moving parts it just looks like a like a, a jumble of uh, of metal shavings and and detritus that just kind of blobs on the screen and <laughs> then moves very away. frequently upside down too <laughs> yeah it, that too as far as not being able to keep up because it's visually overwhelming exterior stuff on on current modern trek is a much uh bigger it, it's it's a much bigger perpetrator of that uh visual overwhelming problem exteriors over interiors because when we have exterior shots of new trek it it far too often i can't really tell what's happening because it's so detailed and moving so fast my old eyes can't keep up See, I was, I, I'm just the opposite with that. I, I the, the exterior stuff I'm, I love and I, I don't dislike the interiors either, but I, I, you know, especially like, uh, in, in Picard season three, a lot of that, the exterior stuff was a lot of fun, but I'm also a starship walk. So get a life. Yeah. And, and not to say that it's badly done. It's incredibly impressive, very detailed. And, and it, it looks neat. But sometimes I have to go back and watch it like three times to figure out what the hell is going on. Because everything is going so quick. Yeah, I, yeah, I let it go. <laughs> it's just like, okay, I saw that. I, I find very little rewatchability for a lot of the new trick. So I oh, think not the whole I episode. Go. I'll just rewind. I'll just, oh, wait, just jump, okay. jump back 30 seconds. What happened just then? Wait, I let find, me see yeah, one more time. The no? most rewatchable one so far is Strange New Worlds. And uh, I forget how much I forgot when I go back and look at some episodes that I say, oh, yeah, that was in this episode. Oh, yeah, that was in this episode. And it's engaging again. Whereas when I've gone back to Disco, when I was doing the chronological rewatch, I was just like, OK, I got to get through this. I got to get through this. I got to get through this. So it's it's so much different now. I mean, we can watch what we're calling choosing to call the classic era over and over and over again because it was just such a different pacing such a different kind of tv environment back then and i i don't know what it is i this this podcast should be uh subtitled we old like the time i caught the ferry over to shelbyville i needed a new heel for my shoe so i decided to go to morganville which is what they call shelbyville in those days so I tied an onion to my belt, which was the style at the time. Now, to take the ferry cost a nickel, and in those days, nickels had pictures of bumblebees on them. Give me five bees for a quarter, you'd say. I guess. Yeah, because... I was going to say, yeah. is is the fact that we don't find the new stuff rewatchable just because we're old? And I that's think... just, like, not mm, our I, clock speed? I think that question is better saved for our podcast where we discuss our changing views of track over time. Mm, mm-hmm. Okay. Because I, yeah, I have to try to I find some example. younger viewers to come on as well. Yeah. Mm. No kidding. Eh? I, I, I know some someone. people that I can get to come on and talk track with us. Okay. All good. Right. Good. I don't know. I, all the young people I know have never heard of Star Trek. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, Unless... I think we have, we have beaten this, uh, this uh, Gormagander to death. Dead Jim. He's dead. He's dead, Doctor. He's dead, Jim. He's dead. He's dead, Captain. He's dead. He's dead, Jim. Dead. The man is dead. He's dead. He's dead. He's dead, sir. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. That man's dead back there. She's dead. He's dead. The 
Captain is dead. He's dead, Captain. He's dead, Jim. Is this a dead man, Doctor? Very dead, Mr. Spock. Let her go, Jim. He's dead. He's dead. She's dead. So I, I, I sense that things might be wrapping up, but before we end this discussion, Rick, you had asked me a couple of years ago, and I know this has always been a special interest of yours. You wanted to start a podcast all about the tech. You wanted to call it, I think, like Treknobabble? I did. We or, even yeah. recorded a couple episodes. And, so, uh, I mean, was this the kind of stuff you guys were focusing on or like what – where does this discussion fit in context with that idea that you had? Because it seems to me this is a very limited conversation. You like it or you don't. There's not a lot to talk about, but you wanted to go deep into this stuff. Like, where did you see that 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 sweet spot for this for this kind of talk? Well, this this particular topic we're talking about is something that had never occurred to me before I read this article. But that show and one of the reasons it didn't go anywhere is I realized it was a very limited because what we were going to do, uh, folks, if, if, if you don't remember or if you never heard, uh, I had planned to do a show called Trekno Babble where uh, a friend of mine, uh, Ellie out in California, a former student, we were going to take a piece of Star Trek tech per episode and just do a deep dive into it. You know, transporters, warp drive, replicators, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and we, we actually recorded two episodes and I think I I can't remember if it was before the pandemic or during it, it just there was no conscious decision to not keep going it just something got in the way and I don't remember what um, but I, I I also started to realize that it was just it, it was not a very deep well there was only so much you know there were maybe 10 episodes in there and not a whole lot of people would be you know that interested in in a deep dive into how transporters work uh or warp drive or stuff like that uh so we just kind of kind of let it go engineering to the bridge we're ready to start captain an algorithmic feedback is interfering with the resolution are you using a polymer-based neural relay to transmit the organic nerve impulses to the central processor of my positronic net Got it. Beam me up. I can't change the laws of physics, 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 physics. Uh, yeah, I was curious because to me, like when you had asked me if I was interested, to me, the technology of Trek, while it gives it a visual style and like a shorthand that says this is Trek, it's limited uh, because it's it's only as interesting as the stories that are built around it. Mm-hmm. So unless there's a human story, I don't really care how the transporters work. You can give me Heisenberg compensators all day long. Who gives a shit? You know, what What does four miles do when he's standing in that room alone all day? You know, I, I, that to me is the more interesting story. And the other stuff is just the sci-fi trappings. So, and I, And I think that that's something that I'll have to talk about when we talk about how our attitudes have changed about Trek over the years. Oh, okay. All right. So good segue. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, we're, we're we're talking about the changing views of Trek, but but that's not for tonight. That is going to be for another day. Um, but we will we will call this a close on the uh, discussion of tech, and we are going to roll right into uh, our our second topic of discussion, and that is um, a, a somewhat of a continuation of a recent uh, that Star Trek pod that we did, where we discussed uh, undeveloped story ideas. 
uh, and the uh, unmade season, unmade season five of Star Trek Enterprise. It's been a long road getting from there to here. It's been a long time, but my time is fine. Um, well, much to my delight, I learned that uh, not just for Enterprise does Memory Alpha have a list of undeveloped story ideas that never went anywhere. They have lists for all the series. Um, so I'm going back to that well, and we are going to go over some uh, unmade plot lines and episodes for uh, the next generation. Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. On the Memory Alpha page, dealing with unproduced Next Generation stories, they have 90 distinct story ideas that they've written up that were never made. Oh um, some of them, to be honest, some of them, it's just a title, but there's no description. <laughs> that's, that one where Data dies, that's the title. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, now, that was... might be fun. We take the ones that are just a title and we just <laughs> spitball what that episode should be. Yeah, that should I, well, be new episodes of That's Your Headcanon or What's Your Headcanon. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll start with that. <clears throat> episode title, Breakout. Oh, that's uh, Warf's on Acne. Oh, okay. Wesley's Acne. <laughs> <laughs> Fix Breakouts fast with Clear Soul Ultra. It starts working instantly, sending the max amount of medicine allowed deep into your pores for visibly clearer skin in as little as 12 hours. Yeah, it's fast. That, that's all there is to that one. Just the title, Breakout. Um, the some of these other ideas. Hit a ball against bricks. <laughs> uh, some of these other ideas are just like one or two sentences long. Um, others have a little bit more to them. I have picked a few um, that I wanted to make sure that we that we discussed. Um, and if there's time after we burn through these, I'll go back and, and pick some more random titles from the list. Um, and if we have a good enough time with this, we can do a sequel episode where we do uh, more stories from this list before moving on to DS9. Um, the first one I put on the list, it should be noted that this list is in alphabetical order. So uh, I did not choose this one specifically to put at the top of the list. I just got lucky. Because chose you. longtime listeners of this show know my affection for this particular character. According to um, Captain's Logs, the unauthorized complete Trek voyages, um, a story pitched by Nick Sagan was to have featured a return of the character Armis from Skin of Evil. You are capable of great sadism and cruelty. Interesting. No redeeming qualities. So what do you think? I think you should be destroyed. A moral judgment from a machine. So, does 
anyone other than me think that there is any sort of or that there was any sort of potential in a sequel episode in bringing Armis back as a recurring villain I think Picard should have put a torpedo into Armis before they broke orbit well Scott why don't you tell the listeners why you think there's so much potential in Armis I think that the explanation that was given for what he was the the explanation that Armis gives in that episode um it it leaves a lot of unanswered questions he said that you know he uh, the planet was inhabited by a race of titans who found a way to essentially succeed in dr jekyll's uh, uh quest to purge all uh negativity and evil from them so they they shed their evil and negativity left it on that planet and they went off to the stars but we don't know who they were we don't know if that story was true and all we have is just him sitting on the planet and the story that he tells for how he got there and i think if they wanted to uh, introduce that race or decide that it's a race that we have seen before i don't know who and roll that into the story allow armis to find a way to leave the planet what kind of uh chaos and destruction could he wreak if he was freed from you know the the shackles of being on that one remote planet i i, I think a lot could be done and the the abilities that he had you know, what are the extent of them what are the limitations what are his uh you know weaknesses other than i'm angry <laughs> I think there are a lot of stories that could be told. and It's not I'm angry, I'm anger. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, could be. Can, can we just reiterate for uh, listeners like me, who maybe saw Skin of Evil twice in you know the last 20 <laughs> years, what exactly Ormus was besides an angry goo mo- monster? Like, what powers? Did he have telekinetic powers? Did he have, like, what 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 specific uh, abilities did he bring to threaten you with besides being Tar? Um, uh, well, you you are correct in in uh, telekinetic powers. He was able to uh, move people and objects. Uh, for example, throwing uh, Tasha like across the set. Uh, he was able to, you know, pull pull weapons out of everyone's hands, pull Jordy's visor off his face, uh, pulled Riker into him, and enveloped him, and then he could uh, move around independently and cover the shuttlecraft and all that. Just gotcha, that sort of thing. So, I, if they did bring Armus back, I'd rather see him in like a twenty fourth century version of Zapped, because he's got the same powers as Scott Bayo in that movie. But it'd be a, like more of a teen comedy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway now I, I know they wouldn't have been able to do this in a TNG episode but um, if they had decided to when it was first announced that the character of Jean-Luc Picard was coming back um, when they first announced a, a Picard series I went on a little Photoshop kick and I made like a series of like five essentially um, you know, mass market paperback book covers in that style of what 
what stories could they do if they're going to bring Picard back to television? Uh, the first was a sequel to Chain of Command, where it would have been uh, Picard versus Gul Madred. Which had been done in a book, but doing it on TV would be cool. Um, the Corbin Burnson's Q from uh, whichever Q episode. Q who? It was Q. Okay, yeah. I, no, Deja Q. Yes, Deja fact, Q. That's yep, yep. Um, what if Corbin Burnson's Q had been assimilated by the Borg, and Picard has to deal with that? You know, these sort of ideas. And one of these ideas that I came up with that maybe they'll decide to. Uh, tackle this in a, a new Picard-centered TV series was Armis escaping the planet and and becoming a threat. Obviously, that didn't happen. But as uh, the other, going backward a little bit, as DS9 developed and they introduced the concept of changelings, I thought to myself, you know, changelings are liquid. Armis is liquid. I wonder. And that did prompt me to write a short story that uh, loop back around and uh, retconned Armis as um, an outcast from the changelings. An, uh, a changeling that was formed or born, however you want to uh, call it, differently. There was something, obviously he is different from other changelings that we saw in DS9. And those differences caused the changelings to uh, to, to, to cast him out, to banish him to that planet. Uh, and he he wrote uh, basically a, a, a new, a revisionist history, a different reason for why they did that and just convinced himself of it. And the story that I wrote was Odo coming to the planet and telling him who he really was and wanting to take him back to the link. Uh, that story got published in uh, the Star Trek Quarterly fan magazine. Uh, sometime last year, I think. And I always wished that they had done something like that with the character. I don't know why it was such a thing with me, but I just, I liked that villain and I thought there was potential. They could have turned him into something more than just a, a one-off angry blob. No, that's I think fine. That, yeah, that's laudable. I mean, the fact that you see something in the character, it all depends on how you would write it. Like to me, like Ormus is a ridiculous villain, but you saw something in it that actually retconned it into current Trek continuity that that we know and that we like and that that does kind of fit in well so it just it's just a matter of how you approach it i mean it certainly can't be any worse than amanda Plummer's character in picard so i mean the, the bar is pretty low for star trek villains as it is and i you know loved vedic yeah Ver i know Merrick. i know that, yeah exactly Vatic. yeah Vatic. she's so memorable you don't even remember what her name is but v vedic okay. is a bajoran priest vedic is Vatic. yeah I, I loved her but Anyway. That's another show. Yeah. <laughs> or we've I think we already that had show. that show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Jinx. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, I think that you, I read that story, Scott, and I think you did bring it to an interesting place. So there are no bad ideas, just bad executions. And uh, speaking of Tasha Yorp. Dope. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, moving on. The next one that I pulled from this list that I thought was interesting, because this is something I'd never heard before. Um, during the development of Voyager, Berman, Michael Piller, Jerry Taylor, they considered writing um, an episode of TNG's seventh season because I, TNG was still running before Voyager uh, started airing, but Voyager was in was in pre-production. 
And they considered writing a seventh season episode that would have had Reginald Barkley creating the holographic doctor. Well, they sort of did that as they, they had Reg as part of the development team later on in Voyager, didn't they? No, he was not part of the development team. He, he, um, I'm trying to remember. It was uh, Zimmerman who mm-hmm. developed the doctor and, yep. and Barkley, I think only, me- I don't remember what they said about Barkley's relationship with Zimmerman. Like if it predated his interest in Voyager or not, because they had that whole thing with Barkley being obsessed with Voyager. And I, yeah, I don't remember if, if he, if that's why he then got to know Zimmerman or not. I, I don't remember, but I, I mean, maybe you're right, but I don't recall him being part of the development team. I, I, I recall that being like a purely 100% Zimmerman thing. What if, is, was it the episode where, where the doctor, they were trying to convince him he was real and he needed to shut down the, the holodeck or something, and Barkley was in that... Oh, it's got to spend so long. There was an episode where this is after uh, Voyager had established contact with the Alpha Quadrant, and they would, at regular intervals, be able to communicate with Starfleet. And Barkley says, hey, I need to borrow the Doctor. I need you to, like, compress him and shoot him over here to Starfleet because we can do that now, apparently, because I need his help because Zimmerman is sick or something. So the doctor shows up and helps Reg with Zimmerman who invented the doctor and that connected Reg with the doctor or the doctor's creator. If Barkley had been involved in the design of the doctor, it was only uh, told to us through dialogue. There was never any like previous scenes where he was a part of that. It was just Barkley trying to find Voyager, and once he did, now he's trying to help Zimmerman. What this uh, unproduced episode would have done was introduce the concept and the character of the Doctor, which, according to this, um, uh, Barkley would have been working on this program and finally takes a leave to put on the finishing touches. He creates the character in his own image, which makes me wonder if they had considered introducing the concept of the Hollow Doctor designed in Barkley's own image, and then they would have had Dwight Schultz play the holographic doctor in Voyager the next year. Well, I assume so. That's what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. I think that would have been fun for Dwight because he could play a completely different character mm-hmm. and not be constrained by all the foibles that Barkley has. And then if they did continue with that and they did have those Voyager episodes where Barkley is obsessed and contacting Voyager, even I remember seeing some of those. Um, it would have been an interesting dichotomy to see a very confident-looking Reg who is in command of, like, a medical bay interacting with, you know, bumbling, hollow, hollow-addicted Reg that we all know and love. Uh, yeah, the, the yeah. hypochondriac yeah. Uh, Barkley that we know. Um, and g- giving Dwight Schultz a chance to uh, go back to his days as face and be different people well i mean that's what i mean they had one voyager episode that was that essentially rich give me a hand clearing up the signal lower the filter band by 0.3 kilohertz this is captain Catherine janeway do you read me 
I think she's talking to you. Captain, this is Lieutenant Reginald Barclay at Starfleet Command. It's good to hear your voice, Lieutenant. We've been waiting a long time for this moment. The feeling is mutual. Unfortunately, the micro wormhole is collapsing. We have only a few moments. Understood. We're transmitting our ship's logs, crew reports, and navigational records to you now. Acknowledged. And we're sending you data on some new hyper-subspace technology. We're hoping eventually to use it to keep in regular contact, and we're including some... Recommended modifications for your comm system. We'll implement them as soon as possible. Uh, there's someone else here who would also like to say something. This is Admiral Paris. Hello, sir. How are your people holding up? Very well. They're an exemplary crew. Your son included. Tell him. Tell him I miss him. And I'm proud of him. He heard you, Admiral. The wormhole is collapsing. I want you all to know we're doing everything we can to bring you home. We appreciate it, sir. Keep a docking bay open for us. We hope to see you. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That was, um, I think that was the intro his introduction, I think. No, a, a little bit when he was... They, they had a few episodes where Barkley interacts with them. Mm. And so, yeah, they're all blending in my mind now. But, <laughs> yeah. but that concept did happen where, like, you saw the juxtaposition of, you know, real Barkley versus the hollow Barkley that he created. Mm-hmm. So the question I have for this, just in timeline-wise, if we're talking about TNG Season 7, DS9 had been airing already for, what, two seasons at this point? But they didn't have the episode where Robert Picardo guested as Zimmerman to talk about making Julian the next version of the Hollow Doctor. So right. this, this would be this would have taken place before all of that. But at this point, had Picardo even been cast... As, as anything, so the the original concept then would have been the Doctor is just Barkley, not that's that's how I'm interpreting it. Yeah, yeah. and I yeah. also just want to clarify what I just said because I know listeners are going to be yelling. It's not that the juxtaposition was between real Barkley and and still real Barkley, but in the holodeck, and so the Voyager crew were all holograms that he created, and so he was himself, but he had confidence. Because he was interact interacting with hollows rather than real people. Yeah, he had the, the the confidence that that the holodeck gives Barkley, which we saw in, uh, in his TNG, introductory yeah. episode in TNG. All right, next up, um, again, this is one I'd, I'd never heard of. Uh, Ronald D. Moore pitched a story about an alien that lived in the fabric of space and had been born around the same time as the Big Bang. It would be revealed that in the early time of the universe, these life forms were numerous. But because they lived within the fabric of space itself, as the universe expanded, they had become separated, with no means to communicate. This particular alien, as such, had been alone for literally billions of years, and so reached out to the Enterprise to alleviate its loneliness. It originally tried to communicate with the crew via intense hallucinations taken from their mind in an effort to keep the Enterprise in its region of space. Eventually, Troy found a way to communicate with the alien, and the Enterprise crew agreed to inform Starfleet to leave a science station nearby to study the alien and communicate with it. I mean, that sounds like a lot of episodes. It sounds like 
you mentioned several elements where I'm like, well, that happened in this episode and then that happened in that episode. Mm-hmm. So whether it's just like, you know, different writers coming up with similar ideas or they took that concept and then went in different directions, but it sounds like they more or less covered that yeah. throughout the N- franchise. Normally in in these uh, uh, undeveloped ideas on the the memory alpha page, if the idea eventually morphed into something different or got incorporated into a different story, they usually say that. This one doesn't, but I wouldn't be surprised if this was a pitch that was made and eventually some elements or aspects of it were um, folded into Tin Man. Or yeah. the, the, the one that I just saw with the two-dimensional being that was dragging them towards the, the super string or the, the cosmic string. Yeah. Or Night Terrors. Or <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and in Voyager, they have that one where there's a, a woman who works like on a station or something, and, and you know her job is, I can't remember, to keep a wormhole going or something. But the, the point is that she's like super lonely, and so there's shades of that there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you also have to define the fabric of space. That's a very important Yeah, term. indeed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and does it come in different colors? <laughs> maybe they someone took the the fabric of space idea from uh, from this pitch and turned it into fluidic space in Voyager. I could do a whole show on why that was a stupid idea, but um, okay, calm down. Don't tell me to calm down. The second we the second we throw any kind of shade on Voyager, no matter how dumb the idea, she's like, all right, all right, all right, let's move on. I, mean, no, I, I, I love the idea of a race of of beings that because of the expansion of the universe have been have been separated that's like that's a great concept mm-hmm. the rest of it was done over and over again in trek yeah now rick were you um we were scoffing a little bit at the idea of fluidic space is that oh is that what caught we, you? Don't, we, we don't want to go in there now he wasn't scoffing <laughs> a little bit just to be clear because you know, <laughs> he was scoffing a whole lot <laughs> th- there's a there's a whole story chapter of missions from Star Trek Online that take you to fluidic space. <laughs> Let's just say that the mechanics needed to keep a ship from exploding in a vacuum do not lend themselves to stopping a ship from imploding under billions of tons per square inch of fluid. Moving right along. Okay. Um, the the other thing that I thought was was noteworthy about this uh, story idea was how for an alien that has been around for billions of years, but for some reason the Enterprise is so special that that's what the alien decides to try to make friends with. Well, you know, s- space is very big. Space, says the introduction to the Hitchhiker's Guide, is big really big. You just won't believe how vastly, hugely, mind-bogglingly big it is. Well, it, it is thank very, you, Douglas Adams. <laughs> what? It, space is very big, and the Enterprise is, it, you know, relative to that, very small. But It, it always but the, has the very interesting aliens. This one wants to make friends so with but, the but Enterprise, the and other aliens wants to suckle I, on the Enterprise's teeth. I'm still trying to figure out the, the fabric of space. So is this thing, like, stuck in one spot? Like, do, are they not able to move? So that's why they it's like they're they're like dots drawn on the outside of a balloon. And as the I'm, balloon gets bigger, they just stay in place and they somehow I, 
maybe they're like yeah, I, maybe they're like coral. Coral in, in the in the in the, the coral in the of fabric space. of space. Space coral. Space coral. Yeah, they, I, you know what? They are like the bedazzled bits of the fabric <laughs> of space. They're just in that one spot. Yes, but dazzling is back to life and bigger than ever. It's easy, it's fun, it's fabulous. Just snap, push, and pop. I I read the fabric of space as like you know, some other like parallel dimension. That that's how I read it as. But it doesn't matter because they never made the episode. Moving on to the next one, <laughs> I have a feeling that Rick is going to be familiar with this one. Okay. Because the next next one that I picked up off this list was David Gerald's Blood and Fire. No, I would love to see that done professionally with with good actors because I've tried to watch the phase two, the the the. Is it Phase Two or that was that was Phase Next Voyages? Two. That was Star Trek Continues before they called it Phase Two, and Denise Crosby was in that episode. So you're talking about I, you want to see it done with good actors. You're saying you just want to see it done without James Crawley. I don't remember. I I I got about five minutes in and I was like, oh my god, these act. I I, I applaud fan productions. You know, I think that it's great, and damn Alec Peters to all of the fires of any perdition you want to think of for fucking it up for everybody but also because of my job i have a very low tolerance for bad acting and so a lot of them i just can't get through i can't watch just because the acting is so awful i i appreciate them and you know yay go for it all my applause just don't ask me to watch the show and blood and fire was supposed you know and if you don't know, Blood and Fire was supposed to be an allegory for the AIDS epidemic. And David Gerald had been trying to get, had been had been promised by Roddenberry on numerous occasions that there would be openly gay characters in Star Trek. And Roddenberry kept saying, "Yes, we're going to do it. Yes, we're going to do it. Yes, we're going to do it." And he never did it. And Gerald has had this chip on his shoulder ever since, and I kind of don't blame him. Uh, but he submitted this script that was Roddenberry said we're going to do it, and then they never did it. And it's it's a it's a an AIDS allegory on the Enterprise. Uh, and then one of the the Star Trek fan production that became that that was done in Ticonderoga that they're set. Yeah, it was officially... it started as Star Trek Continues, and then no, it, Star Trek and then, Continues and, was Vic no, Mignogna's and then thing. oh, then so it was. They, they, didn't call it, they didn't call it Phase Two at first then they 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 renamed it phase two anyway okay. yeah, yeah i'm I, sorry I you're right what the original name was, was was mcnone's thing yeah. yeah okay i apologize no and, and um but i you know they they did the they did the, the the whole the whole episode i just i just i couldn't watch it i wanted to and i just couldn't but like i said denise crosby appeared in that I didn't get that had, far. <laughs> they had um, they had gotten uh, Takei in for one. They had gotten uh, Koenig in for one, and then Denise came in for one as well. And I think there are a couple of other, you know, name actors that, yeah. that you would recognize. The, who, that, whoever whoever played Commodore Decker in uh, the Doomsday Machine, they got him. William Winden. William Winden. William Winden. Uh, that he is the greatest over actor. That that episode. With with him and Shatner, like the battle of the overacting, <laughs> it is so phenomenal to watch. It's mind blowingly good. We tried to contact Starfleet. Uh, no one heard. No one. We couldn't run. What happened to your crew? Oh, I, I had to beam them down. Oh, we, we were dead. No power or phasers, useless. I stayed behind. Last man, 
captain, last man aboard the ship. That's what you're supposed to do, isn't it? Uh, and then it hit again, and the, the transporter went out. There they were, down there, and I, I'm, I'm up here. What hit? What attacked you? They say there's no devil, Jim. But there is a... Right out of hell, I saw it! Matt, where's your crew? On the third planet. There is no third planet. Don't you think I know that? There was, but not anymore. They called me, they begged me for help. Four hundred of them. I could. I, I couldn't. <laughs> Especially and since Wyndham didn't want to do it. He, he... He took it because it was a gig, and, and but he he didn't. Want, and I still love his performance in that, especially when he's flying the shuttlecraft. <laughs> yeah. When, when Don't you the, think when, I know that? When they got him back for uh, an episode of Phase Two, as the story goes, when Decker flew into um, the Doomsday Machine, he was not destroyed. He was flung back in time to Earth where he lived out the rest of his life as a normal modern day person and he appears in an episode of Star Trek Phase 2 in what is very clearly a camera or a laptop set up in his living room where he's just (laughs) wearing whatever clothes he had on that day and delivering a monologue as Commodore Decker (laughs) and it was pretty bad hello there Commodore Decker yes he made this two years ago He died eight months later. Commodore Matthew Decker, this is my report. If you're watching this tape, it means someone from Starfleet has come looking for me. I'm betting it's Jim Kirk. But whoever it is, I'm sorry I missed seeing you. Now, first of all, please, don't worry. I did fine. Thanks to Veronica. You know that I commandeered a shuttlecraft from the Farragut. And after setting a course down the maw of that planet killer, I uh, I locked the autopilot in case I, you know, lost my nerve. One minute I was staring into the face of the devil incarnate. And the next, I'm, I'm flat on the floor of the shuttlecraft <laughs> drifting in space I must have blacked out it was really bad and yeah. it was called it was called um, Star Trek New Voyages New Voyages and then it became it phase two yes okay. so now that we have that buttoned up uh, <laughs> yeah yeah I mean I watched I watched pretty much all of them because I was just fascinated with the concept of fan films and the fact that they were trying to do the they did the Katumba script which was the first one to go into like the workings of the Klingon Empire which never made it to production in TOS they did that Blood and Fire one which you know pedigree like David Gerald I mean Trouble with Tribbles and yeah all that stuff and it still was a little bit lackluster but yeah. you have to laud the ambition. Mm-hmm. I, I do. I, I absolutely do. And I please don't take, you know, my inability to watch them as any sort of a criticism of of 
they, they obviously love Star Trek way, way more than most. And some I, might I say, applaud some them for might it. say too much. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But, uh, but yeah. Uh, also included on that list, the, the next item was uh, someone, uh, Herb Wright, had dusted off Gerald's script and gave it a second draft. Uh, called it instead of blood and fire, it was blood and ice, and he removed the the two allegedly gay Starfleet officer characters, and apparently inserted zombies into the story. So Borg, no, just straight zombies. Borg are straight zombies. No, they're no zombies. <laughs> It became a Star Trek zombie story, and that one did not go anywhere either. I didn't even put that on the official list. I just wanted to follow up uh, Blood and Fire with Blood and Ice. Um, next up on the list... It's very um, far in a review. You're as cold as ice! <laughs> anyway, Rick got that. <laughs> uh, it, it says... I, I didn't catch the uh, a name for this one, but Maurice Hurley initially intended the second season of TNG to commence with a multi-part story arc that would introduce the Borg following um, the season one finale of The Neutral Zone, uh, and which would have seen uh, the Federation and the Romulans teaming up to beat this new threat. Um, as a lot of listeners probably already know, the writer's strike of 88 put the kibosh on that idea and the Borg were introduced later in the season in Q Who. But the original plan before the strike was to immediately follow up the neutral zone with the introduction of the Borg. And because of how things uh, because of how things landed after the strike, the Borg are introduced in the Delta Quadrant when the Enterprise is sent there. So we never get any explanation for the disappearance of these outposts and colonies along the neutral zone from the end of season one. That's, oh, it's just never brought up again. That was supposed to be a Borg thing? Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Wasn't Maurice Hurley the one that got Gates McFadden fired? Uh, I think so. Bell! Bell! Somewhere else on this list, I did hear that, um, yeah, I did read that, that Maurice Hurley was the one who was so fed up with the egos of the cast that he wanted to introduce a story arc in season two that would have seen the destruction of the Enterprise with all hands <laughs> and have to introduce a new Enterprise and a new crew. Yeah, wow. fuck that guy. Yeah, that's 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 hilarious. But yeah, that's the ego. That's straight ego right there. I love it. And the, the egos mm -hmm. of the cast. Oh, yeah. Guess who's got a bigger ego and, and pulls the strings? You're all dead. <laughs> I mean, wow. Big swinging dick right there. Mm. Uh, another Nick Sagan pitch, uh, this one not bringing back Armis in this one, but instead bringing back Charles Evans. I would love that. Who? Charlie X. Charlie X. Nick uh, Sagan wanted to do a Charlie X sequel in TNG. I won't do it again. Please, I'll be good. I won't ever do it again. I'm sorry about the Antares. I'm sorry! That would have been welcome. I've long said that if any episode points up the desperate need for a ship's counselor in TOS, it's Charlie X. He was ill-used by everybody on that ship. 
Yeah. And, you know, had there been a Deanna Troy on that ship, Charlie would have been just fine. Or at least it wouldn't have been as bad. But Jesus was, 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 oh boy. I, every time I watch Charlie X, I tear up. Every time. I think that's a great episode. I would have loved to have seen a follow-up to it. They did another fan film where Charlie does return. It was fucking awful. It had, uh, it had Nichelle Nichols in it. Oh, was this um, uh, of Gods and Men? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was that was no good. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the thing is, so, a, a few of those fan films of of Gods and Men uh, is one of them, where they bring like actual legitimate actors, not just fans who who want to try to act. But I, I think in that particular that had movie, Alan Alan Ruck was in that right yeah uh, it it was michelle was in there alan ruck tim russ garrett wang wong. um wong. wong sorry um i think possibly walter Koenig. sarah lofton was in it and and gary the graham. guy who plays charlie x the guy who charlie charlie was in it and the guy who played charlie and gary graham who uh at the time of this recording uh very recently passed i should have yeah. said that at the top of the show but last week uh yeah. yes but yeah at the time of this recording, um, January twenty-seven, it was it was within the last week. Uh, Gary Graham, who played uh, Ambassador Soval on Enterprise, uh, passed away. Next item on this, li- we're we're getting towards the end of what I uh, of what I cherry picked. Uh, next up, an idea for a fifth season episode involving Data and his quote family. It was the Data's family story is what they called it on the list. Um, it would have had Lore returning, uh, having uh, stolen Lal's body, Data's daughter. And I attempting hate this to, idea already. Attempting <laughs> to bring his niece back to life using the emotion chip that he received in the episode Brothers. Why do you, why do you necessarily hate that, Rick? I mean, because... The Offspring was such a powerful episode, it would have totally cheapened the end of it. Lal, I am unable to correct the system failure. I know. You must say goodbye now. I feel. What do you feel, Lal? I love you, Father. I wish I could feel it with you. I will feel it for both of us. Thank you for my life. Painting family. Female. Human. Oh, I I get that. I get that. Um, there are other shows that have done that. Yeah, and uh, I hate it every that, time they do it. That I can name. I, I'm not even talking about Star Trek. I'm talking about other shows where you have this powerhouse episode that becomes a touchstone. And then they go back and they fuck with the backstory and they go back and, you know, and it just completely zaps any of the original Mm -hmm. impact that that episode had. It undercuts it all. But I think that 
to introduce something besides lore would have maybe been good. I mean, I, I, I'm only in mid-season four of my first real watch-through of TNG, and I just saw Brothers. And, I mean, I like the fact that Brent gets to play difference in it, but lore is so one-note that if you're going to keep bringing this character back just so Brent can have some fun, maybe also bring in a character that you genuinely care about. So Lal would have been a pretty good choice. Maybe that is a little bit of a cheap trick, but at least it's within the continuity, and that gives stakes to Data. It's not just him versus Lore. I mean, now he's got to somehow contend with the fact that Lore's co-opted his daughter. I, I, I like that. I like that. I think it could have been interesting. Like anything, it just depends on the execution. Yeah, it, it depends on how it was done. Um, Nick, are you digging this at all? <laughs> I'm listening. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I that's not an answer, but <laughs> um, all right. I I do have to agree um, with, with Rick. I I don't like I I like the idea of the the concept of making a story out of more than just lore, as they were. You know, Data does have a family. There there's. Dr. Soong, there's lore. Yes, there was law, which we don't really want to touch because yes, that episode was amazing. We don't want to we, we don't want to undo any of the, the the greatness of that episode. If this idea had come around after the introduction of Data's mother, then maybe they could do something with that. Um, but we also fall into the into the trap that Chris mentioned, which is lore being very one note. When he shows up, you know what it's going to be like. Because he's always the same. Now, uh, the, the, does I don't suppose yeah. it says it's how does Lore get a hold of Lal's body? Doesn't matter. Well, yeah, because if why would he be able to? Did they just like uh, why? Right, why she's dead, is Lore ever cool. able to do anything? Why yeah. is anyone ever able to do anything? It's yeah. like how did how did Lore get on the Pecklet ship? You know? Well, they explained that they they found him floating well, in space and picked and him so up. So they would have come up with an explanation. Yeah, the like, I mean, said, "Ooh, something shiny." And, they, and they every second episode, it. someone takes over the Enterprise. It's not hard <laughs> to do. A lot of times, it's data. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Ricky. I think you're getting caught up, and also I think that for you guys, you watch this probably in first run, and you have like these are like touchstone episodes to you that I think you hold in maybe more rarefied air than I do. Just having seen some of them once a long time ago and not really caring about them and just now watching them, I think that it it's not a sacred cow to me. It, you know, a good story could be a good story, no matter where it comes from. You're right, for the most part. This episode I've watched many times, and it has changed for me since I became a father. Right, now I'm not a dad. Yeah. But uh, you can save that conversation. Yeah. <laughs> for, for our episode about our changing attitudes to Trek. Which we'll do at some point, I guess. <laughs> One day. It's One day. going to happen. It's going to happen. Yes. Is it? Because, like, when I put it up for, for vote, everyone was like, no, hell no, I don't want to do that topic. I didn't vote against it. I voted for it. I don't remember what I voted for. I'm taking the fifth. <laughs> I don't recall. Next on my curated list, I think, might be Rick's favorite for tonight. Uh-oh. 
as early as February 21st, 1987, a Mirror Universe episode was mentioned as having been proposed for TNG. On that date, David Gerald jokingly reported that in the only TOS sequel which had so far been suggested for TNG, quote, the Enterprise returns to the Mirror Mirror Universe and Edith Keeler is eaten by carnivorous tribbles. <laughs> <laughs> I would pay cash money to see that. <laughs> oh my goodness. You know, I, um, I have I have said on numerous occasions that I'm glad TNG never went to the Mirror Universe, but I have seen some of the cover art for the IDW stuff, mm-hmm. and gray goateed Picard with the sleeveless guns out. Yeah, I like, you know, I could Jack, probably Jack that. Picard in his chachi shirt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. Uh, all all the men in Starfleet have those sleeveless tunics. It, it's, <laughs> It, I I still would like to get my hands on those comics and read them, but I just haven't yet. Um, it, it also mentions here that Jerome Bixby, who wrote the original Mirror Mirror, yeah, wrote and wrote submitted TOS episodes. Yeah, he wrote and submitted a TNG sequel. The story mm-hmm. he suggested featured not only the Mirror Universe but also members of the TOS crew. Um, Which did they say? Any no, it, it, it does. It does not say who. Um, the 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 only follow up after that is that uh, Paramount rejected it because they mostly wanted to stay clear of of those characters. Uh, the last one, and I, look, judging by the time, this will probably be the last one for tonight. Uh, we can revisit this list on a future episode if we want. Um, but during the pre-show, uh, I had joked that one of the episodes on this list was the Geordie LaForge revelation. So I made sure to pull that one out. Uh, the write-up says, an episode that was temporarily planned centered around the revelation that Geordie LaForge was secretly the product of alien experimentation involving his mother. I think we, we touched upon this once before, didn't we? Or was it maybe in the thread, in the in the discussion thread that we have? But I recall, because I think I said, you know, it was, so we would basically be like Star-Lord, right? Hey, you know what? There's another name you might know me by. Star-Lord. Who? Like um, you don't know he's part human, part who knows. Or I'm not remembering Cisco. It, it does have uh, Oh, maybe it was on the thread that we have without you, Scott. I'm sorry. It, it does have <laughs> hints of, of Cisco, to be sure. Um uh Jerry Taylor states, Yes, that's yeah, we talked about it with the Cisco and, and images in the sand or faces in the sand, and yeah, mm-hmm. we had a whole discussion about it. But it was it wasn't in a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry Taylor stated we wanted to make Jordy an alien. He was going to discover that his father was not who he thought he was, and his mother had an almost Rosemary's baby kind of thing, and had been impregnated by an, a- by an alien. As a result, Jordy was actually half alien, and now, at his present age, his people were coming back to get him. I thought that would have given Jordy's character a lot of elaboration, end quote. Isn't that kind of what they did when they turned him into a glowing lizard thing? Yeah, so there was the episode where he turns into that glowing lizard thing, and then there's also the Voyager episode where Harry Kim is is told that that's his origin story, and then it turns out it's not. So that's, shades of that being picked up later on. Yes, the, the, the end of this write-up says the idea bears similarities to a plot twist involving Harry Kim that was considered but rejected for Voyager's favorite son. Mm-hmm. I like the idea that any writers in the era of TNG who came up with ideas that would have been big swings and attempts to actually like change the status quo of some characters, I can respect that. 
I don't know if saying, hey, Jordy, you're half alien. Don't know if that really would have had the impact that they wanted, but it, it, it's something. Similar to either, I saw some story ideas on that list that would have toyed with the idea of uh, uh, killing Commander Riker. Or, uh, again, crashing the Enterprise. There was a, an idea for a two-part episode involving the Breen that would have uh, ended with uh, the Enterprise crashing into a planet and necessitating the introduction of an Enterprise-E for the final season of TNG. And Paramount, Paramount cut that idea out because they wanted the familiar Enterprise-D and all the familiar characters to be available for a movie after the series but I think it was Ron Moore and uh, and one other wanted to do that earlier they wanted to uh, they, they wanted to destroy the Enterprise I think in season 6 or 7 so they would have Ron a new, Moore wanted a new to ship kill and a everybody look. at some point or another well that's that's how you do good stories <laughs> as as evidenced by Battlestar Galactica just just kill folk I, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, um, again, having gotten a recent appreciation for a lot of these characters uh, that I never had before, especially Deanna. I always wondered what Deanna's purpose was, but I really like Marina's character on the show. And um, it's surprising me how much I like her. And uh, I don't know that we needed to do something to shake up the status quo. I just think that they needed to focus on somebody besides Picard and Data every once in a while. It seemed to be, it's just, it's like the Picard data show and the movies carried that forward. But I mean, Jordy didn't need to be shaken up. Jordy just needed to have storylines that didn't involve being bad at dating and good at techno babble. You know, they needed, they needed something else for the character to define him. And so far I haven't seen it. And Lavar is great as the character. Like Jordy is always, he's likable on screen. I like the character, but there's just not a lot going on there. They haven't explored him. He's like the Mayweather of of the D. It's just like he's just kind of there and occasionally useful in the plot. I I never considered him as the Mayweather, but that makes a lot of sense when you say it. Um, of, of all the principal cast members, uh, I think that... Yeah, I, I was going to say that it, it might be a tie between... Uh, him and both Deanna and uh, Beverly for underused characters. Are you kidding? Every third episode is a Deanna episode. She's featured quite a bit, and Beverly is, has a lot of good stuff too. I, which is why I, I initially thought maybe a tie, but in reality, yeah, Jordy is at the bottom because he didn't get as much development as anyone else. And I also think that Beverly and Deanna, while, yes, they did show up in a lot of episodes and there was some development, it wasn't enough. Because most of the time that development was, hey, uh, she's in, in love with a guy and he's not going to be around by the end of the episode. Well, still, I mean, some nice moments with Wes, some nice moments talking about Jack, some nice moments of them yeah. together. You know, mm -hmm. I think that and it, they're much more fleshed out than I originally had anticipated they would be. Yeah. So I'm finding that of the pleasant surprises of my rewatch or first watch of TNG, uh, I feel like Beverly and Deanna are, are the two most pleasant of the bunch. Of, of the surprises? Of the surprises, yes. Yeah. 
<laughs> I didn't mean to come across the yeah I, that could have been taken a couple of different ways but uh, yeah all right um anyone have any um last thoughts on any of the story ideas that we have discussed so far or any ideas that you've come up with that you that you would pitch now if you could well I just uh recapped yesterday's enterprise today and wasn't weren't there rumors that they were considering doing like a spin-off with Rachel Garrett and the Enterprise C didn't I hear about that at some point hmm I'm not sure. Now I'm going to be producer time, and I'm going to. I'm going well, to check but doesn't that out. doesn't Garrett die? Yes, but so you this know, would have been Star Trek. They times? would have come up with something. They would have just run into the transporter. We have her I original mean, pattern in the buffer. They would have come up with something. Let's, let's run but the I, corpse through the. Transporter. I, I mean, <laughs> the take home I think is that you know she's on the screen for like what ten minutes in that episode, and yet she makes such a huge impact. Captain, I would be lying to you if I told you there was a chance in hell of coming out of this alive. Why doesn't your ship come back with us? The Romulans would be no match for your weaponry. I can't do that. No, I suppose not. You don't belong in our time any more than we belong in yours. To be honest with you, Picard, a significant number of my crew members have expressed a desire to return even knowing the odds. Some because they can't bear to live without their loved ones. Some because they don't like the idea of slipping out in the middle of a fight. Like, she is such a great character, and it's so, such a shame that she is only in the one episode. Now, you could say, you know, similarly to Lal, she makes a big impact because she is there so briefly. But it's interesting that that they were able to do so much in that episode with so little. And I would say that's true of TNG as a whole, that, you know, I have such fond memories of it, and I have these ideas in my mind of what happened, and then every time I rewatch it, I'm like, wow, like, a lot of my perception of it is not on screen. It's just like, it's all between the lines. It's all inference. It's They were able to do a lot of establishing just with, like, the way the actors interact with each other just like their body language their their facial expressions there there's a lot there beyond what's on the page and i think rachel garrett is an example of that uh, the actress did a great job the script did a great job of just of establishing someone extremely compelling and you only see her for like yeah 10 minutes it's like the great frustration i have i would love to see an enterprise c series or mini series or even you know just a you know whatever but the actress that played Rachel Garrett couldn't play her now yeah and yeah. i think a lot of what was so compelling about Rachel Garrett is the the, the and i i the performance I, yeah yeah i don't know her name but but she was incredible captain garrett was played by trisha o'neill well i mean one person that could reprise their role and i forget um i i call him captain fraser um i like <laughs> The fact that Kelsey showed up in the the TOS Mon Maroon Monster, and uh, you look good in that. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and I forget I forget the name of that captain. Ba Bateman, Batesman, Bateson, Morgan Bateson. Bateson. Yeah, the ship yeah. was the Bozeman, mm -hmm. named and after Bozeman, Montana. This is Captain Morgan Bateson of the Federation starship Bozeman. Can we render assistance? 
And I believe that there's uh, a couple of books that feature that character. Yes. But I think at, that at least at least one. Yeah. Kelsey Kelsey would rip that up. He would he would yeah. do great at it now because he's still, you know, still great as Frasier and I think that he would relish the the idea of re- returning to that character. And I, I would love know, to see a Miranda know, class get not yeah. villainized. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I was doing some looking up to see if there was anything to what Nick had said about a possible like uh, Rachel Garrett spinoff. I don't see anything about any attempts to bring her character uh, back in some way. Um, there were either mentions of the character or perhaps the character appeared in a few uh, novels. Um, this is in the apocryphal section. Um, the Art of the Impossible and Well of Souls. These are both uh, Lost Era novels. So they might have centered around her. Um, but they added some uh, like background details to the character. Like, uh, uh, had married a Betazoid, um, had a child, divorced, got commanded the Enterprise, so on and so forth. If we did go down like the fan road of shows about, you know, compelling female captains that got comparatively little screen time, I would have loved to have seen at least an arc or even like a, like a mini series of the NXO2 with Captain Hernandez and the Columbia. Mm-hmm. And uh, because I thought that anytime Hernandez came on Enterprise, the show was better for it. So it, um, I, th- I think that would have been pretty cool because she was good. She was really good. If you want Captain Hernandez, then read David Max. Uh, I did. Okay, the the Destiny trilogy. <laughs> yep. All right, yep. there you go. Or the Captain I, of the Saratoga in Star Trek Four. Yes, there, there was so many months went by, where the third book in the Destiny trilogy just went unfinished. I had like two and a half chapters left to go, and <laughs> I just never got around to it. I finally finished it last week, so I've officially, I'm done with that trilogy finished i'm glad i made it there you go and you know what else is finished this podcast Woo-hoo. <laughs> we're gonna wrap up this discussion um uh, i will confer with these panelists and see if this is a uh, list of story ideas that we want to return to in the future um we can also do ds9 voyager uh and even i know discovery is on the list but uh if we want to come back and look at other, uh, yeah, Discovery is on the list. If we want to look at other undeveloped stories, we'll see if it goes anywhere. Um, and listeners, if you like hearing some of these uh, undeveloped stories that we never got a chance to see on screen and want to know some of the other, what, five dozen that are still on the list, let us know. Um, come find us on Facebook and leave a comment uh, or send an email. I believe that... Uh, the outro might have a an email address for it i still uh, for dare now, any of you to email us no that's right taking me up on that yet double dare double dog double, dare double dog it's it's triple dog targ dare. triple dog we, dare oh okay yes, yeah. i triple dog dare you we triple targ dare you to email us <laughs> oh my god <laughs> And as we do on every episode, we're going to go around the table so everyone can let listeners know where you can be found online. Rick. Oh, me. Uh, yeah, you can find me. Do, on it, do the thing. The, the thing. Do the thing. You can find me on, on that thing and the other thing and uh, occasionally that thing. And just. Oh, for the love of God. That's the name <laughs> of your sex tape. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can find me on most of the shows on the network. You all know that. <laughs> okay. That. Um, 
that took way too long. Rick, Neek, show them how it's done. <laughs> I am the host of Moon Show. Moon Show. A For All Mankind podcast, which is right here on the Infinite Potato Alliance. And you can read my comic Star Trek recaps at superanemic.com. And finally, Chris. I am a host of the Quantum Leap podcast. Uh, By the time you hear this, you will likely also be able to hear our uh, return of the series they are releasing episode nine within a couple of days as we tape this so um, once you're done listening to this go and listen to our recap of off the cuff we have some great interviews and uh you can find it at quantumleappodcast.com we've gotten interviews for four of the five main guest casts on this one i just finished a director's commentary with the director for this one and that's just the first episode out of the gate so we're back like gangbusters so much content over at quantumleappodcast.com and on our youtube channel at uh youtube.com slash the quantum leap podcast check it out as for myself you can find me as a panelist on several shows right here on this network and uh, outside of podcasting you can feel free to check out some of my graphic art design work that i do for fun and profit at my website www.planetrisecreative.com or find the uh, facebook page planet rise creative and with that i want to thank all you listeners out there for listening downloading hopefully subscribing to this podcast check out other shows on the network and we will be back with another episode sometime in the future Oh, I, I come in and I just hear about some poor guy named Nick getting pounded. So. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, 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 that's a whole other show Indeed. about like what the f- Roddenberry. We should just, well, no, watch, that should watch be on chaos. the list. What the f- Roddenberry? Watch Chaos on the Bridge. I did. Really I did. Good- <laughs> I did. I've watched it twice actually. And it's still, every time I watch it, I come away even more saying, what the f***, Roddenberry? (laughs) Good thing you're editing this, Rick.